The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here with The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of FSW, the future stars of wrestling here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, how you doing today? I'll tell you what, man, this has been one of the craziest weeks uh, in wrestling from from Big E and Scott Hall. And, man, we got stuff going on and, you know, we've locked in for AEW weekend. You know, there, there's just a lot of stuff happening in the world of professional wrestling. Well, let's uh, let's start with some of the FSW stuff first. Um when uh, you say that you got locked in for uh, AEW weekend, um, what are you looking at in terms of that time frame? How many days are you committed to? And uh, have you formed any partnerships yet um, with, uh, you know, potentially making some kind of collective for that weekend? Uh, yes. Uh, Friday and Saturday, we have locked in, which is May 27th and May 28th. Our schedule is pretty much set for the Saturday. Uh, we got our buddy Ed in San Antonio. He's going to be doing a, a noon show. But we're still looking like we might be finalizing uh, a Dave Meltzer Q&A at the Silver Nugget uh, prior to uh, the the Ed in San Antonio show. Cause Ed is a guy who works with the observer. You know, I'm not even sure his position there, but he he's involved with that group. And every year he comes out and he's a super fan and, and he loves doing women's shows. And he knows that we usually have a lot going on on the SummerSlam weekend and things like that. So, you know, he was more than happy to take an early spot on the Saturday and then he brought up the Meltzer thing, which, you know, can't hurt for sure, especially with AEW in town, you know, having Dave Meltzer there. So we're looking at an all-day event. And as of now, it's like uh, Ed's show will be at noon. Our show will be probably around four. And then the headline act that until they release it, you know, you can guess who it is. You know, they will be here and they'll be running a show at 8 p.m. So that kind of takes away the Saturday. Now, whether we do what we're looking to do is, you know, almost like an all day festival type event, you know, signings and meet and greets and, and all that cool stuff. So if you're a wrestling fan, there's going to be a lot going on. Uh, since we got word that Rampage won't be taped until like three in the afternoon, uh, it says. So. We, we feel yeah. on Friday we have uh, no issues doing a 7, 8 o'clock show. And then who even knows? You know, we're still discussing a possible uh, 10 or 11 p.m. show. You know, it's like, you know, who wants to do a late night show? Now, obviously, it depends on the venue. If they're cool with us being there until 2 in the morning, 
you know, but, <laughs> right. you know, we, we have some things we got to, you know, figure out with them. You know, they have a ticketing service when, you know, we kind of do it our own way. The other company kind of does it their own way. And we just need to, to mesh it together because we're trying to do some stuff to where, hey, maybe you buy an all day ticket, you know, and it saves sure. you a few bucks. And, you know, at a 12 o'clock show that ends at two, you can come back at four and the other show ends at six, six thirty. You can come back at eight, go to eat, whatever. But you still have that all day pass. And Friday, I've reached out to, you know, we have somebody in California. We got somebody in Washington. We've talked to Booker T in Texas. So we're just trying to figure out what the best option is for Friday. You know, the other company involved, they also have some big time connections and do some things. So we're just we're trying to make sure that we maximize what we do Friday. You know, running shows with four guys or four companies that have no appeal draw wise locally, like in the Vegas market, makes it a little more difficult because, you know, the pricing of the venue isn't cheap. And, you know, I understand the idea of the finances and stuff, but I'm not going to go in there with a partner that unfortunately in Vegas might not be able to help bring any people there. So again, if we're the ones bringing the people there, well, we kind of got to maximize what FSW is doing. You know, we need to, you know, as I told, you know, a few of the other partners, like, you know, that's great that you might have these local guys that are over where they're at, but we're looking at trying to sell tickets. So you really need to bring in your marquee players, you know, and when I say marquee players, I'm not expecting, you know, these companies to bring in the biggest stars in professional wrestling, but you know, you need to bring in some name value, you know, somebody that, that that's hot on the internet scene, you know, the, the, the indie scene, and it it needs to be a special show for people to want to come to this. And, you know, no offense to these really good wrestlers, but you know, we need to look into, you know, the Shane Strickland's and the Leo Rushes and, you know, the local talent that's superstars like TJP and Willie Mack and, you know, guys that you can get locally. You know, one thing I've seen about what's happening recently, you know, the flights are fucking insane. You yeah. know, I, when I had to go back to New York, New York a few times. You know, I was paying 280, 300 bucks round trip, you know, on a major airline and nonstop from New York City to JFK. I mean, Vegas to JFK and looking at dates uh, because we have gotten dates from the showboat uh, in in Atlantic City. And we're looking at, you know, in the summer. So we have enough time to promote it, you know, July and August. And usually when you try to book five, six months in advance, you get good rates. And I looked at Philly and New Jersey and those two eighty three hundred $300 flights are now 600. So, you know, those are the best deals, you know, and that's coming in Thursday. And if we did a Saturday show, now you got to figure out how to, 
you know, I don't think the showboat's going to give us, you know, a hundred room nights. You know, they'll they'll give us some, but we can't have people staying there for three nights and expect everybody to comp us all out. So, Correct. you know, it goes the same way for the people coming over to Vegas. You know, when we have guys that we want to use and the Casey Navarro's and the Davey Richards and, you know, guys that have worked FSW shows, you know, the cost effectiveness, you know, obviously we got so much talent that lives yeah. in the Vegas market alone with a Brian Cage and a Jeff Cobb and a Willie Mack and a TJP and a Kenny King, who's way more free to do a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, that's a good core base. And then you can go to California and you got a Brody King and you got a Bateman who've made, made names for themselves and a Leo Rush that are, you know, drivable distances over here. So, you know, this might not right. be the time, especially because it's Memorial Day weekend also, which means, yeah. you know, the room rates are going to be through the roof. So it's just trying to, you know, keep everything in check and, and be able to provide something different to make people who are coming in town to maybe spend five days because, hey, if they come in Wednesday for Dynamite, are they going to still be there Sunday? Well, some are. So what are those people yeah. going to do on Friday? What are they going to do on Saturday? And, you know, we've even discussed the Thursday night. Well, we could do it at the FSW Arena. We could do it a, a smaller show instead of laying out all the money for, you know, the venue on that extra right. day. Because Thursday is a wild card. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. So I'd rather risk less. And, right. you know, knock on wood, if we have more people uh, than the room fits, that's pretty damn good on a Thursday. That means we're drawing over 300 people. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to, you know, and trying to figure out who's going to be there. Had a big conversation yesterday, and we haven't even talked about talent yet. We're just locking in what we're looking to do. And, you know, I announced, hey, we're going to have a big announcement on Monday. Well, right now, the big announcement is we are set for AEW weekend on that Friday and Saturday at the Silver Nugget. You know, the contracts, you know, were signed. So I don't think they're going to pull a, hey, we got another promoter who's going to pay another 1500 bucks. So get the fuck out of here. We just just hope there's no Filipino uh, acts who are, uh, you know, able to uh, throw that scratch out there. <laughs> no, but there's um, some big time uh, um, Latin acts that definitely yeah. I saw some of the pricing of uh, what they had to pay. Uh, the act who came in the day after our Mecca show, and that was insanity. You know, they're, they're talking like almost fifty thousand dollars. For this group who obviously, you know, they drew well over, you know, they were at capacity at 1500 people and the average wow. ticket was 75 bucks. We're not talking about the people who actually got seats, you know, because it's right. basically standing room and then there was VIP tables. So I'm pretty sure those people paid a lot more than 75 bucks for a seat. You know what I mean? So they yeah. rang in a lot of money on that. So, yeah, they definitely do 
very well when it comes to the concerts that they do, uh, the Latin concerts over at, at Silver Nugget. Well, you know, if you uh, if you become desperate, you know, Hammerstone's been working on his guitar playing. You know, Bay works on his music, so you can go. We, we we can have a concert. You know, yeah. uh, you know, get Leo Leo Rush. You know, he do some of his uh, uh, his rapping. And you know, first time him. ever Leo Rush versus Chris Bay, and unfortunately, Ooh. it's a rap battle. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> when you um, when you think about then um, being that you're locked in now for Friday and Saturday, um, do you look at the possibility of maybe that Thursday during the day, if let's say a company like Best of the West or you know something like that, if they want to run? let's say a noon show on a, on that Thursday. Um, do you have the capabilities of doing that and still being able to set up um, you know, the, the big venue at the same time? Yeah. You know, we, we have another ring. It's a little smaller. It's the 16 footer that right. we can utilize uh, if need be, because if we're going to do a bunch of stuff starting Friday, you know, people are going to maybe go to the places and we don't know how many students, ring crew people we're going to have. So we would probably want to set right. up, you know, Wednesday or Thursday at the Silver Nugget. So by doing that, it kind of limits the time frame we have. But we actually have a ring rental for May 21st on the 18 foot ring. Mm -hmm. So the idea would be to take the ring down, obviously, but immediately put up the 16-foot ring. So there's nothing to do. Once the show's over on the 21st, it sits on the trailer for five days, and yeah. now we don't have to break it down again. It's, a, it's already broken down. So time-consuming, it definitely saves a lot of time. Uh, plus, it brings in some income for us uh, you know, as we lead into – you know, what's going on, because again, this hasn't been done before, you know, in the past, yeah. the one time AEW ran, uh, there was some shows that were going on when we were working with the people downtown and, you know, Teddy Hart and his crew did a show where people showed yeah. up, you know, yeah. I believe we had our second natural born killers, uh, that weekend. Uh, that was the one that had, I remember at AEW weekend, we did because they were trying to get us over there after they blew us off the first time. And it was kind of like, well, we got this going on. And they had the lingerie fighting going on. And I'm like, really? Right. All we've done, you can't squeeze us in there? We're going to draw more than these motherfuckers. And then, you know, three days before, like, oh, bro. And it's like, we got tickets out. We can't get people to figure out to go from that place to your place. You know, everything's right. printed, you know, everything's done. You had your opportunity. I sat down with you and you blew us off. You know, yeah. another case was blowing us off. And I remember these things. And, yeah. you know, when you don't do good business, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than just your word now that you're going to do good business this time. Well, you didn't do it last time. So why would I expect you to do it this time? 
So, yeah. So we did Natural Born Killers, which I believe was uh, Cross uh, and Chris Dickinson in the main event. And we also had MVP there. And, you know, that one did very well. So then we were going to do the year during the pandemic in 2020. We had set up the Mecca in March for the big Mecca uh, crowning of the champion after Morrison went to WWE and everything was set for that, you know, and unfortunately, you know, shit hit the fan and it's taken AEW a long time to come back here. And since then, Ring of Honor hasn't come out here. So, you know, the one thing we did learn is the Mecca can stand alone. Uh, Usually we were piggybacking off Ring of Honor and then we were looking to piggyback off AEW. We didn't piggyback. We just did our show. And that name value and and bringing back Killer Cross really, you know, was a benefit to what we were trying to do. And now it's trying to build on that momentum. Yeah. Um, And as far as having run the Mecca in the venue, um, does that give a little more, um, I guess, idea for Rocky this time out of what he has to do in terms of getting, you know, the, the stage into basically, you know, a rampway for the guys down to the ring because he did it at Mecca, is it going to be easier for him this setup or are you guys even looking at doing a little something different for the setup for this show or for those shows, uh, essentially? Well, you, you know, obviously you're, you're trying to improve. So we did a pretty, pretty good job. You know, I looked at the venue and, we knew we had pipe and drape. We didn't know how much we had. We know the way the stage was set up, that the dressing room was in the back right area, but you could see into the dressing room if you didn't close it off. So instead of putting pipe and drape that way and having this giant stage with nothing on it, we pipe and draped it toward the front. And that's when I came up with the idea, which I had seen before. I liked the idea of having an entranceway curtain that had the FSW, had a logo, you know, so everything was focused on that, having the TVs there. So we saw what we saw. We liked what we liked. And now if we can improve upon that, you know, one talk was because the lack of video monitors other than the small TVs that you really can't see from your seat. You know, it was good for the filming for fight TV and all that other stuff. But, you know, one idea is talking with the other guys, hey, we could rent a screen. It's not really that expensive, you know, if we want to add that bell and whistle. Do we want to add more lights? You know, those are definitely things that, uh, you know, we can look at. And now we have time. But now we also have some partners. And, you know, as I said, the one big time partner, they have no issues with upgrading stuff and kicking in money. You know what I mean? So, you know, we could sit down and I could show them, Hey, this was the setup. What do you think? You know? Right. Because I've seen them before. And a lot of times they have pretty basic setups, you know, it's their name value. That's really gotten them where they are. 
you know, they, 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 they're a popular company. So they run shows that, you know, barely had lights in the arena, you know, other than just some overhead lights, not even like lights like we had. And ours were a little cream colored instead of white. So, you know, maybe we make the stage a little brighter because it it was, you know, it it was fine, but it could have been a lot better. You know, it was still a little dark in places. And again, we had the access to it, but it's like maybe you pull the gel off. And now when you pull the gel off, it's a bright white. And that's what you need around the ring, you know. And remember, you know, we didn't have two months to prepare for this. You know, we were booked somewhere else. So I think by the time I talked to the the venue at the Nugget, we were 17 days out. And by the time we finalized everything, we were probably 12 or 13 days. Like we knew we were going to get in there, but we didn't sign anything. We didn't figure it out. And it was like, okay, we locked in and there's like 12 days before the show. So yeah. now it's scramble mode and trying to figure out everything you do. You know, they had 500 chairs. So that was cool. You know, they had the lights. You know, from when we did the shows 10 years ago, 11 years ago, you know, they didn't have the stage lights. We used to have to take the light from above uh, where the ring area is and just turn it this way so it would look like a spotlight on the ring. But now they had the gobos and it made it look good and we could focus everything in the ring. And we just had to keep some stuff because in the walkway, it was still dark. So, you know, we had to figure out how we're going to do that because... The gobos really just went on the stage. There was none that would like hit that area. So, you know, it's an adjustment and we've been doing it long enough that, you know, as long as we have some time, we'll figure it out and make it look good. You know? Sure. Uh, You uh, have the show coming up here on the 27th of March. Um, and, uh, of course, it's going to be uh, Remy Marcel defending his championship against uh, uh, Greg Sharp. And uh, we also have uh, the FSW Tag Team Champions, uh, Juicy and Toa, defending against Shogun and Hero Lou. Uh, do you have any other uh, matches coming up for that show as of right now? And um, are tickets available uh, for people to start uh, purchasing? Yeah, yeah, we just put tickets out a couple days ago at fswvegas.com. If you want that direct link, it's fswvegas.com slash events slash day of reckoning. So that way you can bypass the site if you like. And we put the tickets out and we're already halfway sold out of the front row, uh, you know, in a matter of no time. Because again, at the venue, the FSW arena, it's a little smaller. So instead of 80 or 90 front rows, we have 65, maybe, you know, maybe we can push it to 70. So, you know, there's a good chance that show will sold that sell out. You know, we're doing a number one contenders match for the no limits championship. Uh, we got three guys that, you know, tear the roof down, you know, funny bone, Eli Everfly and Brandon Gatson. And, you know, we're looking at a, a mystery opponent as the fourth member and i think the crowd uh will definitely enjoy uh the fourth participant in that match that we're holding off right now because 
we're working on stuff. And right now that guy may not be the guy, you know what I mean? So we're working on that, you know, Brett, the thread had some issues uh, with Bodie. Cal Jack got involved and being that Cal Jack doesn't work for FSW. uh, We're in talks about doing some kind of match. uh, So we'll, we'll find out what's going on with uh, Brett, the thread and Cal Jack. You know, maybe it's amateur wrestling rules. You know, who knows uh, where we're going to go with that one. Uh, Viva Van makes her return uh, to FSW, working on a uh, good opponent. If we can get, you know, a solid match there, that that could be a qualifying match in the uh, women's tournament. You know, so we're still we're still putting together, you know, the, the, the final touches you know, uh, Jay Vidal will not be there. So we're focusing on the number one contender match for the No Limits title. But uh, also seeing what's going on, you know, right now they don't. But some of these guys, the Damian Drakes, the Nick Xanders, the Death Proofs, you know, a few of them will have matches. And there's a couple that will be on the outside looking in. So we're just trying to put together the best matchups that we can uh, because we want this show to be, you know, big time, you know, the FSW heavyweight champion uh, Hammerstone got attacked and laid out by the faction and uh, he's requested uh, some could say a moment of silence for lights, camera faction, but uh, Hammerstone is going to address uh, some of the things ice Williams and the faction had to say when he was jumped by four guys so i just get the uh the old uh wrestling uh mm-hmm. you know where you have the picture and the wreath and you know the coffin and the uh i guess the wake of uh of the faction um you know you mentioned Bodie and Caljack um they just uh won a uh, tag team championship here in town. Um, if you look at it, when you see that a team is formed like that in another company out here, two questions. One, does that spark an interest of potentially bringing that tag team together into FSW? And two, when you look at a kid like Bodie, who is still growing um, and is definitely getting more opportunities week by week. When he gets a title like that, does that kind of put a little more pressure on you for looking, you know, how can we get him into title pictures here because of the fact that, you know, another company jumped the, the gun before I could get a title onto him. Is that something that concerns you? In all honesty, when you say about using Bodie and Caljack as a tag team in FSW, is that ever a thought? How do you think those guys got put together? Obviously, by seeing what happened at FSW. You, you know what I mean? It was like sure. Bodie got saved by Caljack in an FSW show miraculously. Now they're a tag team on a different show because yeah. somebody is looking to capitalize on what they saw and said, hey, you know what? This got over really well, which is good to know that they're paying attention to what's happening on FSW shows. 
because I don't think anybody in their right mind would be like, hey, I got this great idea. How about we put Caljack and Bodie, who's 14, in a tag team together? You know, I, I just don't see that perception happening. But, right. you know, I had an idea. And, again, as you said, jumping the gun. You know, everybody's trying to get their work in. Everybody's trying to get things. Somebody offers you something. You know, Bodie's not really in a position to turn down bookings. He's looking to get experience. Now, what I personally, as the promoter of FSW, wish certain things were done differently, fucking A right. You know, I have my opinions on things, but that's me being possessive of what I have, what I created. You know, Bodie started with us at eight years old. You know, I've done everything I could to get him involved, but also protect him uh, as much as I can instead of being, you know, just another guy on the show. The idea was to make Bodie kind of an attraction because at 14 years old, you know, it's hard to get him into everything. You know what I mean? So when he shows up, you know, I put him in a tag team match with Sin Bodie dressed up like him. It was a cool moment. You know, you remember that moment. Yeah. After a while, it just gets clouded. And it's just, oh, match here, match there, match here, match there, match, 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 match. And in one way, it definitely helps him. It gets him the experience of working with guys who've been doing this, you know, a hell of a lot longer than him. You know, we joke and we say, hey, he's been doing it for six years. It was the kids class. So don't confuse the kids class with regular training you know the kids class is is pitched to be more of a fun time you know it's it's where people got together and they became lifelong friends and you know they play and they do some of the stuff you would in a regular class but it's definitely nowhere near a serious competitive anything it's a way to get the kids off the couch, the parents. Oh, these kids, all they want to do is play fucking video games. You know, this is a way for them to exercise without thinking they're exercising because they love wrestling. Right. They love John Cena. That's why Spider got involved. And now all of a sudden, Spider, who is a lazy kid, now he's running the ropes because he wants to be like John Cena. Well, running the yeah. ropes is what we're looking to get. We're trying to get that physical activity going and giving these kids opportunities, then, you know, as a wrestling fan growing up, you know how it was that you didn't really openly talk about wrestling because there was a bunch of those people like, oh, wrestling's fake, oh, wrestling, how can you like that, blah, 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 blah. So you find your small cliques, hopefully, of friends at school (laughs) that like it. Now you're coming to a place where everybody loves wrestling. Now you have things in common with people. And now you have this opportunity to hang out with this person. Hey, I kind of like this person. Hey, we like the same guys. Oh, we don't like this. And now they, they're livelier. They're, they're excited. You know, sometimes, you know, especially nowadays, uh, you know, people depressed, you know, getting bullied, you know, whatever it is. And now they're finding a click. Uh, of people that are like-minded and you know as we said in some cases you know 
I remember when our kids' class kids had grown up and, and kind of graduated to, to wrestling matches. All of a sudden, the kids who dropped off, you would see them at the show to support the kid from kids' class who was having a match because they've been staying in touch for three years. So even though yeah. you didn't want to pursue wrestling anymore when you turned 17, 18 years old, you were still friends with that person who did. And now... You're there, man, supporting like, man, I remember when that person was 15 years old. You know, now it's four years later. And that says a lot when four years later, you're still friends with this person, yet you guys don't do the wrestling class together. Yeah. And, you know, that's what the kids class has really brought to the community, you know, between, you know, Jay's battle getting married to, you know, someone who was a regular at our show who literally bought a season pass and her and her sister would come to like every show that there's so many fans, you know, you wouldn't know that Brandy and George and the chief and all these people they had no idea who these, these people were before they came to an FSW show. But the common right. bond of them coming, loving wrestling, it was their way for their escape. And all of a sudden they go out to eat together. They go hang out after the show together. You know, whether it was uh, doing a, the after party at the Blind Pig after a Silverton show. And you'd see those groups of people and the sign girl. And like everybody has nicknames and everybody knows everybody. And now no matter where you go, they're, they're like a pack of wolves. They all come together. You know, they're all <laughs> hanging out outside. And there's like six of them, ten of them, four of them, eight of them. And... You know, regardless, you know, of what I'm looked at or what FSW's looked at, you know, we really made a dent in this community of putting people together, you know, yeah. between the between the kids and between, you know, the wrestling fans, you know, it's awesome. Well, you know, you could tell how it was when we brought back Cross. You know, there were people that were regulars who kind of slid off the, the face of the earth, you know, life issues, jobs, whatever it was. And it was almost like a reunion at the last Mecca when Cross yeah. was there. And, you know, and Kevin's great because, you know, he remembers these people. This is where he grew up, you know. He, you know, a guy would be like, oh, yeah. But, and he's like, yeah, I know who the fuck you are. Like, you dumb. Like, why wouldn't I know you? Like, you know. Just because I went to WWE doesn't mean I forgot my past, you know, and, and that's the thing. And that's the great thing because, you know, the guys like Remy and Funny Bone and Cody who <clears throat> are FSW originals, right? you know, that they have literally become living legends in the wrestling business in Las Vegas. You right. know, they, they've had some success outside of Vegas. But they're the Vegas guys, you know, you no know, matter what, they know that they're from Vegas, you know, in some cases they're FSW guys. But, you know, a guy like Funnybone started when I was working with Rush when he was running the school. And I always joke yeah. and talk about when Funnybone had hair, you know, and how we almost called 911 on him because he passed out in the fucking ring. We thought this guy was going to die. And it was like. Dude got up 10 minutes later and started getting back in the ring going fucking crazy because he's funny, bone, you know, <laughs> and it's funny because 
as I was telling you earlier, you know, I think I, I talked about it in the beginning of how crazy this past week is, you know, bad and horrific, you know, and I literally just this week, uh, sorry, was on Hulu for a little while and dark side of the ring. And I've pretty much binged all the way through in about four days. I'm already, you know, I didn't watch a couple episodes. Like I watched a Dino Bravo one years ago. Uh, the Moolah one, I eh, watch when I feel like it, but watching the Benoit one and the Pillman one. And I even watched the one in Korea was so much yeah. entertainment, man. It was like, I've watched like, I guess 10, 15, about 20 episodes of this. And it's just like, man, there's some sad stuff in there with the Owen Hart and Gino Hernandez, you know, and I just watched the one with Grizzly Smith, which is uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' yeah. dad. And it's just like, what the fuck? You know, a lot of this stuff I knew things about and you heard some stories, but, you know, and again, some of it obviously is going to be blown up out of proportion in the entertainment part. You know, I thought it was interesting when they were talking about Scorpio beating the fuck out of Hawk and Scott Norton being like, ah, Hawk was fucked up or he would have fucking smashed him. And it's like, yeah, you know, but it was entertaining from beginning to end, man. It was like I was intrigued. And, you know, the most interesting one to me was was the Nick Gage one, because I know Brett at GCW really well, you know, and and we use Nick which I didn't realize it was early 2019. So he'd only been back about a year. It was when Teddy Hart's like, Oh, I got a guy, Nick Gage, you know, you only got to pay him, you know, one fourth of what I pay him now. And he was going to come down and we did a match at the Mecca for, uh, with him and funny bone. And yeah. I just remember putting it out there and I'm, I, Nick Gage, I don't know who the motherfucker is. You know, I heard something about him. You know, I knew he was somewhat popular in that deathmatch scene, but it was right. nowhere near as popular at that point, you know. But, you know, it was crazy. And then every time I've seen Nick then, hey, Joe, how you been? Ba -ba 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 -ba. And always super nice to me, man. And, and always professional and always cordial. And when we talked about the stuff in the arena, it was like, Hey, man, I understand because we're talking about the light tubes in the arena. We really did not want that. You know, right. we just felt that the fans were too close, even though I watched GCW and the fans, they aren't even behind guardrails. They're like right on the fucking canvas. <laughs> and it's like, man, I understand these motherfuckers aren't getting, you know, their eyes taken out. But, you know, Nick was very respectful, you know, like, hey, man, this is your place. If you don't want that, you know, we'll figure out a way. Blah, 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 blah. And. You know, so watching that and, and knowing of the Arquette story and then seeing it, it was fucking crazy, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the uh, the most entertaining theories out there. Um, very interesting. When they aired the Ultimate Warrior one, the same week uh, A&E had the Ultimate Warrior biography on, which you know, WWE has, uh, you know, a little, little bit of their hands onto the AEW, uh, A and E stuff. And boy, you want to talk about two different versions of the same story. It was fascinating to, uh, to get a chance almost in real time to watch one and then watch the other and realize the differences on how, let's say dark side focused on, uh, warriors ex-wife 
and you know her uh seeing the the destruction the self-destruction of him as opposed to a and e which basically showed the you know dana warrior and <laughs> the good side of you know his legacy and it's crazy there's so many stories out there um and speaking of you know guys and and stories uh scott hall um you know you just said a sense of community amongst the wrestling fans here in vegas um i think yesterday we found out that uh, scott hall um basically is one of the main threads in bringing together a lot of uh, wrestling fans because it seemed like almost every you know scroll you did on facebook or instagram there was something of, about um about scott and the love that everyone had for him uh for you yourself what was your uh pinnacle moments of uh scott hall and uh were you more of a fan of the razor character or of uh you know the nwo scott hall uh character well going back the one thing i always recalled about scott hall was you know i watched awa back in the day you know and uh, you know i remember big scott hall big scott hall he was just big scott hall there, there was really nothing to it tom and, tom, Sel tom Selleck lookalike at that point right and then all of a sudden i'm watching uh, wcw and there's this guy the diamond stud and it took me a while to realize that because Big Scott Hall was a big hoss, you know, he was pretty thick, you know what I mean? Right. And he lost a lot of weight as the diamond stud. And I didn't realize they were the same person. Then I realized they were the same person. Then all of a sudden, Razor Ramon comes in at WWE, WWF. And I have no idea who this motherfucker is until I was like, holy shit. That's the diamond stud. So it's like three different times he's come in and somehow this guy who's hard to miss, six foot six, you know, big dude that you don't even recognize that he's that guy. The only time that really ever happened to me was once when Dustin Rhodes, I found out was gold dust. Like I remember looking yeah. and I'm like, Holy shit, that's fucking Dustin Rhodes. Because back in the day, you didn't have every dirt sheet around the internet and be like, Dustin Rhodes is coming to WWE as this movie star character, Goldust. You know what I mean? It was like, this yeah. was all shocking and surprises. And the thing about Razor Ramon, you know, it'd be funny because it'd be like, once you realize who it was, it was like, this guy ain't even Spanish. You know, and it's like he's doing a bad Al Pacino accent, but he could work, you know, yeah. and, and he was good. But, you know, he was a guy that if you look back, man, he was underutilized everywhere until he became part of the outsiders. And yeah. even with the outsiders, he was the guy who was going to take the fall because Nash wasn't taking the fall and Hogan wasn't taking the fall. So yeah. who was instilled into putting people over and then you know putting over guys like ddp and and getting them you know into that mix and talking about creating stars you know i don't even think i met him but i saw him at the cac a few years back 
And I may have said, hey, hello, Scott. Nice to meet you. I, I cannot recall if I did. But he was just sitting there chilling, you know, watching some of the uh, shitty wrestling matches that was going on. You know, people would come by and he was very cordial and nice. And then as I, I posted it yesterday, because it was weird, man, I'm scrolling and I'm like, and I'm scrolling. And, you know, sometimes if you go on Twitter and you scroll, but you hit that person, you only get to see their stuff. Right. You know what I mean? So I went back and I had to like double check because it was like, did I hit something that said Scott Hall or whatever? Because like the entire scroll, there would be like an ad and it'd be like four more Scott Hall posts. And I was like, I have never seen so much outpouring from people, you know, wanting to tell a Scott Hall story, a memory of him and things like that. And it's like, you know, that guy has had had a ton of ups and downs. Most people never thought he'd live to the day he did. But yeah. then to fall, hurt your hip, and then get a blood clot and die because of that, it's like, holy shit. Like, of all the things, it's like, you know, you, you don't believe, you do believe, all this other stuff. And it's almost like, hey, we're going to get you on this one. Scott Hall is going to pass. Uh, because he had hip surgery. Like, this guy had done so many drugs, and he was fucked up. And I remember years ago when it would be like people would book him. I'm like, why are people booking this guy? He's like no showing. He's yeah. showing up inebriated. He can't even – I remember they're being sued because they paid him up front and just horror stories. And yeah. then it was like – kind of like with Jake the Snake to where all of a sudden, you know, they said, hey, man, you know, I don't want to die. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I got to and turn their lives around. Yeah. And then for that to happen. And it's like, and we've seen that a lot recently with, you know, like, holy shit, the whole thing when you watch it and you remember with the warrior and he makes that promo. And the weird thing is I was watching it live with the warrior and it was just like, Oh, it was powerful. It was meaningful, you know? And then it was like, Oh my God, he fucking died the next day. But when I watched the one, uh, you know, on the dark side of the ring and you see him cutting the promo, you could see a guy struggling. Like he looked like he was exhausted. Like he, like he was huffing and puffing and, you know, the warrior was known for that. But when you've seen him, when you hadn't seen him for so long, when you rewatch something, it's like, holy shit. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, you, you talk about the weirdest things ever. Like, he finally made amends. Uh, you know, I saw the thing with Jake the Snake. He wanted to beat the fuck out of him, you know. Yeah. And Cornette seems to think it was still a work. And, and who knows? But the thing was, it seemed like he had made amends and then he got what he wanted and then boom, you know, that was it. And, you know, just like seeing that and and with my mom passing in October, it it really gives you a total different outlook, you know, of life and seeing stuff and watching Big E get dropped on his head like, holy fuck, like it's crazy, especially watching that dark side of the ring. It's like, man, the Benoit story. And then, you know, a lot with Eddie Guerrero in there. And then the Owen Hart. I'm like, man, this is like tragic. 
And yeah. it's like, wow, this is and this is the business we love. It's just like, man. Well, you know, and I think what's very interesting along those lines is that um, you see them starting to d- dive in a little bit into stories that aren't really well known. Um, and I think that that's important, too, because we see so much focus on, let's say, Owen's story or the warrior story, and you lose sight that there are, you know, tragedies that happen on the independent scene as well. So it's a good little, uh, it's a good little show to put the focus on, on, you know, these different stories that have happened over the years. And I'm sure as, you know, they go on and make more, I'm sure, um, you know, they'll, they'll do more, looking at you know certain territories and, and certain guys um you said biggie let me ask you when you see a guy doing the belly 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 to belly suplex on concrete what's your reaction to that potential of an injury happening because of the landing on the concrete as opposed to the landing inside of the ring. Um, you know, is it, are we seeing a little too much risk taken with stuff that happens outside of the ring uh, with all the stuff that is already inside of the ring that is at high risk? Do you, do you ever see yourself going, I wish they wouldn't, you know, necessarily always do, you know, dives out of the ring and suplexes onto the concrete. What's your opinion on what could have made it a little bit safer for, you know, Big E to not have um, broken his neck? Well, I disagree when you say concrete because there was padding. So I'm not going to say that the padding is, it's not like our crash pad that's, you know, yeah. thick, but it's still padding. The bottom line was he didn't get him over and yeah. he landed right on his head, you know. And am I the biggest fan of Ridge Holland? No, not really, you know, but Drew McIntyre, I am. And he dropped Moss on his head. Yeah. And again, accidents happen. It isn't. You know, I I saw a post Taz made, you know, something about, well, you know, you're not trained right, blah, 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 blah. You know what? There's there's always injuries. You know, D'Lo powerbomb draws and he slipped on the thing. It's two professionals. It was an accident. This is very dangerous. Things can happen. All you can ask is people try to do the best they can to make sure they keep their opponents safe. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, what you always heard about with Bret Hart. You know, he people would laugh at him. Oh, yeah, we never hurt anybody, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a lot of people pissed off that Goldberg, that they felt yeah. kicked him way too hard. Now, in that situation, yeah, Goldberg probably wasn't trained to the point of knowing exactly what to do. He was raw. They threw him right into the mix, and he was a main eventer like that. You know, he didn't start off at NXT and already had five years in the business. You know, he went to the power plant, 
they threw him on TV in, in months, not years, you know, yeah. back in the day with WWE, nobody heard of Randy Savage, but the dude had been like a star for 10 years, whatever territory he was in. But the, the WWF fans who were pigeonholed to only that, you know, Savage was a new guy. So yeah. it's a lot weirder these days because now a lot of these guys haven't had that experience of, a hundred matches, a thousand matches, you know, they right. go in there. Some of these guys that are the football players and stuff that they sign, you know, Roman Reigns never wrestled on NXT. Now right. you can argue whatever you want about him, but his matches are usually good to great. Now, yep. why is that? Is it because of his Samoan background and being in part of the business? You know, I always talked about Sefa. And Sefa didn't have a lot of experience, but in a matter of months, he was a major player and it was because yeah. he was around it so much and he naturally picked everything up. But, you know, if something happened, they would have been like, Oh, see, he wasn't even trained that long. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Everybody's looking for, for a reason, you know, you're going to tell me Drew McIntyre, one of the best in the world, you know, drops a guy in his head. That was forgotten a day later because it was Drew McIntyre. Yeah. And and Moss didn't break his neck. But right. maybe a twist here or a twist there, he would have broke his neck. And yeah. again, those things have happened. And people have gotten extremely injured. You know, we saw Owen Hart, considered one of the greatest of all times, the kind of Austin's head slid down a little and he hit him with the pirate driver and broke his neck. And yep. you again, nobody, well, maybe Austin did, but nobody really, you know, was like, Oh, Owen Hart, because he, he was that great, you know, an right. accident happened. And even right. though Ridge Holland's inexperienced, they're trying to like bypass that of, it was an accident. It was, well, yeah, he's an experience. He didn't know what he was doing. It's like hard for me to believe this guy who made it to WWE didn't know what he was doing. Do you, do you think, uh, cause you know, it's, it's really funny. Um, when you, when you focus in on that, you know, negativity, the, the attack on Ridge, do you think that mainly that's 95, maybe even 99% of people who are criticizing him who have never in their life stepped into a ring? Well, 99% of the people in the world have probably never stepped in the ring anyway. So, you know, the guy who made the comment was Taz. You know what I mean? Right. So when, when a guy like Taz says it, more people are going to pay attention to it. If I right. went on Twitter and said it, nobody would give a fuck what I said. But Taz who had right. neck injuries and stuff. Is he blaming Sabu? You know, is he right. blaming Kurt Angle? You know, whatever it is, you know, same thing, you know, Edge, he had to retire because of his neck. Back, Steve Austin had to retire because of his neck, you know, and they understood what they got into. Now, that's right. not the outcome they would have wanted, but look at all these guys in wrestling who have had to have career ending surgeries, you know, whether it's Roddy Piper having two hips replaced and how many hips have been replaced by, you know, wrestlers, 
Scott Hall, he, you know, he breaks his hip and that's what kills him. So, no. you know, anything can happen in this world to anybody at any given time. And the older you get, the more you realize you're not invincible. You know, when I was 20 years old, you know, my mindset was, well, I'm going to live to ever, live forever. You know, I looked when my dad was like 45 or 50 and he was old. I'm 56. Yeah. I don't feel old. You know, right. you don't, you don't know it until you get there. And then you yeah. realize, wow, 50 ain't old, 60 ain't old, you know, in some cases, 70 ain't old. Yeah. But when you don't make it to there and, and, and you drop at 50 and 60 and issues happen, you know, I'm telling you, it's like the fucking drawing your name out of your hat. Oh, today's the day. And you have no idea how, when, where, or who in some cases. So, you know, live life to the fullest. I'll tell you that. It's like, you know, I, as I said, you know, when my mom passed in, it, it gave me a different aspect. You know, when I had my surgery, that gave me a different aspect. You know, I had stents in 2014 when I had my open heart surgery. And, you know, you wake up. And you're like, oh, it's nine hours later. And it was like, I don't remember anything. I remember yeah. going in and the and the doctor's like, count down from 10. And I'm like, 10, 9. And then in my mind, it's like 8, 7. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I woke up. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And it's like, I can't keep anything down. I'm trying to get water. My mouth's dry. I'm throwing up. It's like. I don't know if dying would have been better than living at, at, at that moment. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, wow, this is like the fucking worst thing that I've ever seen in my life. But after the fact, I look back and it's like, I could have literally have died on the operating table and that would have been it. Yeah. And that's it. It was all over. You know, thankfully I, my doctor was good enough because they have to stop your heart to do the heart surgery. Who's to say it's going to restart. Yeah. You know, you, you, you just assume because it's funny, you know, when you go to the doctor, Hey, you're going to need this. You're probably going to need uh, you know, we're going to probably do two bypasses. And then all of a sudden you found out it was six bypasses. You know, I think I tied the record, you know, Simon Gajo is like, there's only four valves and you had six fucking bypasses. That's like almost medically impossible. You, you know what I mean? And it was like, yeah. And, and they give you the confidence in, yeah, you know, we do these all the time. It's fine. You know, you're going to be great. And then after the fact, it was like, oh, yeah, it was tough surgery. You know, you good to see you pulled through. And it's like, thanks, motherfucker. You know, it's like. And, and knock on wood, it's almost going to be three years in, in July. Yeah. You know, my diabetes, it's still a little high and stuff. But, you know, I, I feel good. And it was like I said, I felt worse when I had to get one stent put in than when I did with the heart surgery. I just was going in for a routine checkup. And then they wanted me to do a stress test. So it was like, holy fuck. And then you see all these guys like, you know, Pillman. Hey, he died at 35. Uh, heart disease. Well, it was because of the steroid use. Right. You know, Eddie Guerrero stopped, but he had done it for so long. And it's like yeah. similar to me. Like I was eating very healthy for the last 10 years of my life before that. 
But before that, you know, mom's Spanish, dad's Italian. I'm getting a lot of chicken parm. I'm getting a lot of cheese. I'm getting a lot of fried foods. And, you know, I got it after the fact that I was, you know, eating better and doing things that I was supposed to and dropped 40 pounds and whatever. And, you know, that's what ended up happening. So, you know, this world that we live in, man, so negative sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's quite interesting, um, you know, just the range of emotions, uh, you know, over the last week, uh, like you said. And it makes you take that perspective. Um, also, hey, 100 episodes right now. Oh, yeah, there you go. The 100th episode. The official 100th episode, but not the official 100th episodes with me on it. Yeah. Those those couple episodes should be thrown away anyway. They were probably pretty garbage. What was Remy Marcel co-hosting or something? They were just just, uh, best of, so it's all good. Um, We we tried to get a co-host, but uh, everyone... They couldn't uh, fill my shoes, so they knew better. Everyone's just like, nah, I don't think so. We'll just let Joe handle it. Um, you know, we should have had Robbie Lid cover it. He would have would been all over. Uh, well, you know what? I'm still waiting. Evan Daniels was supposed to, you know, call back, but he never did. So big announcement right here, right now. Evan Daniels returns April 9th at Future Shock, which I think and, I said last week. I don't know. Yeah, I think you did. Um, are we seeing him uh, go against Brandon G? Why do I not see a scroll that exciting Evan Daniels returns? It's almost like the ultimate warrior returning after years away from the WWF. I want to scroll next week about it. Uh, you know, are you going to put him in the Hall of Fame? If we ever have a Hall of Fame again, absolutely not. Um, as we wrap up here and you look at, um, you know, just, just like you said, this crazy week, this, um, kind of tough week for, for a lot of people in the business, uh, and fans alike, is there something that you think that obviously you said live life to the fullest, is there something that fans could kind of take? in terms of that advice, but applying it towards, you know, wrestling, uh, meaning that, you know, a lot of fans can get uh, fairly negative or um, just hate something to hate something. Is there a way that fans can essentially live life to the fullest uh, as being wrestling fans so that um, you're never looking back and going, you know, I missed out on this because I just refuse to, you know, let that into my life. It's impossible in this day and age, because if you have an opinion, I now have to comment on your opinion. Now it's a fucking opinion. It's what you think, not what I think, but now I have to chime in. And now with social media in the past, it would be you and your three friends. Now it's you and your 3,000 Facebook friends. 
And if you hit a nerve, somebody's got to do something and somebody's got to say something. You know, it's really bad with wrestling, but politically it's way worse. You know what I mean? So it's like it isn't just wrestling. It's everything in society that if I feel this way, I'm a piece of shit because you feel that way. Instead of in the old days, well, you know, hey, we're Americans. We're free to have a thought. Now we're not free to have that thought without consequences. You know, I try to be careful of everything I say. And sometimes it's still an issue because I say things in my New York sarcastic way that some people don't understand or appreciate, you know. I I made a post on Twitter, which isn't Joe DeFalco making a post on Twitter because Joe DeFalco don't have an account. It's Future Stars of Wrestling. So right. on Future Stars of Wrestling, my son will make a post about something, usually the flyer things, whatever. You know, Jake will post something and, you know, usually a link for YouTube and sometimes make comments or whatever. So a while back, you know, one of the nicest guys I've, I've worked with in recent years, uh, Jordan Cruz. So Jordan Cruz is all excited. You know, he's making his AEW dark debut. And he has to wrestle one of the wrestlers I love, personally, professionally, Lance Hoyt, Lance Archer, whatever you want to call him, okay? And he's all excited. And it's like, oh, man, I make my debut. And everybody's like, oh, congrats, man. You're going to do it. And I write. R.I.P. Jordan Cruz. Okay? Now, it's meant comically, but it's meant like, wow, you got your first match, and holy shit, you got to go up against this six-foot-nine giant who, if Lance sees it and sees me that I'm the that we posted it, he's probably getting a chuckle out of it because he's worked for us from numerous, numerous occasions, and every time he's around, I always take him to Barley's to eat. You know, he likes the salmon over there. And... But he is like the nicest guy in the world. But his persona is like he's the most crazy. Like he he's like almost a junior bruiser Brody. You you know what I mean? Like nobody can be like Brody. But, you know, he plays that role in in Japan, especially. You know what I mean? And, you know, I I think I got a message from Cody, of all people. And it was something with uh, the Twitter response and I ain't nobody's joke and blah, 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 blah. That I I literally sent a message to, to Jordan like, hey, bro, this was not meant in any other way than this, you know. Yeah. And he was like, I, I understand, you know, maybe, you know, he got a little worked up over it. And, you know, and, and it's issues with other things. Like if I'll say something. Uh, well, another one of my favorite wrestlers, you know, we were on the, the, on the podcast and he said, I was clowning him. Now he didn't, he didn't listen to the podcast. His boys listened to the podcast. So in joking terms toward this person, his boys were like, Oh, Jordan Falco, he's fucking clowning you. And then I'm like, dude, it's all love brother. And he was like, I thought he was kidding when he hit messaged me back. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. You know, you're clowning me and trying to make me out like a fool. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And it's like some people, you know, 
I try to enjoy things. I try to make fun of things. I try to have a good time, whatever. And, you know, some people think I'm hysterical. You know, Damian Drake just sits in my office waiting for me to bust balls on Sunday. (laughs) You know, and that's the highlight of his week. (laughs) You know? So true. You know, but then some people are, you know, and some people who don't know me and they're newer, I guess, like that. You know, I always try to go in and loosen up the situation and bust balls and the new kids are training. And it's like, you know, one of the less newer kids is trying to show a newer kid something. And and you got to try to alleviate the issue. It's like, what the fuck is this idiot who doesn't even know what he's doing trying to explain something to somebody? But you try to do it in a humorous way, but sometimes they still take it personally. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's I'm very a funny dude. You know. Yeah. Those yeah, guys wait for me on the radio show. That's why I did I did a guest appearance. They were trying to get some people on. They're like, hey, would you like to come on? I'm like, sure. And then they were like, hey, bro, can you be on all the time? Because, you know, I try to make light of situations. And sometimes situations that maybe shouldn't be made made light of, but you know yeah. I'm not going to go to extreme. I'm not I'm not going to say something stupid, you know, when somebody passes away or somebody gets injured. You know, I, I it's the wrestling business. Sometimes it's funny, man. I was watching it when I was watching the dark side of the ring. I was laughing hysterically through the entire Nick Gage episode. It was for some reason I found it to be so fucking hilarious because i know nick and i know brett and i didn't also know their backstory of how long that they were friends and yeah. and the shit with our kid and, and nick is so nonchalant about how he's gonna stab him in the throat it, it you know it's funny it's not funny but it's funny <laughs> because you know they are wrestlers and wrestlers right. see a camera and they like to embellish i guess is the nice word to say uh of every story they can you know yeah that's why one of my favorite movies ever was big fish you ever see yeah. big fish yeah and it almost brought it it probably did bring tears to my eyes at the end when it was the dad telling these stories and it was like you see these people and it's like oh man what a fucking ridiculous story and then you go to the funeral and it's basically a wrestling story. It's like, this is the story, but dad made it a little more exciting and entertaining. And everybody he talked about was real. And it was that person. It was just an extension of who they were. And right. for some reason, that movie has always been one of my favorite movies. If I see it, turning it on and stuff, I'll sit there and watch it for a while. Because I, I just think it's an awesome movie. Yeah, it, it, you know that's a, that's a great way to look at that film. I never thought of it through the, that perspective. I also think too, what is kind of interesting is that you know we're in kind of a we're in a changing culture of when we grew up, it was locker room talk and you know locker room behavior or uh, frat house behavior, you know things that now you don't mean something cruel you're just busting balls and having a good time and then it ends up just you know going to a different level because we are used to 
the way we grew up. And I think that sometimes that perspective gets lost. It's like, yeah, we try to change. But yeah. at certain times, you know. Well, you know, the way I look at it now is there's people that I could bust balls with. But the problem is, see, I'm busting balls with you, and I could bust balls with you. But the person over there who doesn't know me, doesn't know you, he hears things that sound somewhat offensive or, or, or whatever it is, and they're the ones that take offense to it. Yeah. So in reality, that's why you need to be careful of everything you say. You know, stereotypical stuff was always the norm uh, uh, of talking and, and and talking shit and going back and forth and, and all that stuff. And it, now it just can't be done. I, I've had so many times to tell people like, bro, I get what you're saying. You didn't offend me, but you offended somebody. And it's almost like when you go on Facebook. I would ref I refrain from saying anything because no matter, take this as a quote, no matter what I say, somebody is going to be pissed off. Somebody. Now, you, you can't let that affect you, but when you're running a business and you're, you know, FSW is, is mainly the business why I'm on Facebook. And I've seen things, I've heard things, I've read things that is disappointing, offensive, total bullshit. But if you get into an argument with somebody over it, you're looking like the petty bad guy. So I yeah. would rather just let it, because if it was really major, it was really a big deal. And we've had some issues that were big deals that we tried to handle the best we could. In most cases we did that other people don't see it that way. They look at something from the outside. They hear a couple of things, some disgruntled people, you know, whatever it is. But they don't know our side. They don't know somebody else's side. You know, it was always, ah, there's two sides to every story. And it was funny because Extreme came out with an album, Three Sides to Every Story. Yes. And th that wasn't adopted for a very long time. It was always two sides to every story. Right. And... You know, in the last 20 years, it's my side, your side, and the real side. Because your side has a bunch of truth in it. My side has a bunch of truth in it. But in the middle, there's a lot, there's a disconnect. There's a there's a gray area that you looked at one way, I looked at another way. You know? Yeah. And back in the day, you could just talk about it. Or you fought about it, I guess. You know, yeah. I wasn't much of a fighter, so, you know. Usually if there was a miscommunication or something, you discussed it. Now it's like people go on social media. Oh, he's an asshole. Oh, names, names. And most people don't say the names, you know, in right. the situation. You know, yeah. some do, you know, uh, Joe DeFalco's a piece of shit. You know, I've seen that, you know, and that's how you feel. I'm sorry that you feel I treated you that way, no. you know. That's all I could say. I, I've tried to help people, you know, and some people felt since they weren't the ones benefiting that I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And, you know, in, in reality, my job is just to get you or my trainers to get you to wrestle. Yeah. There's not a guarantee you're supposed to wrestle on my show. 
There's not a guarantee that you're supposed to be a champion on my show. There's not a guarantee that because you're local, you're going to get pushed over the the out of town guy. You know, when we first started, we didn't have out of town tag teams. So all the tag team champions were out of towners. Uh, you know, even when people complained, you know, if you want to call Hammerstone an out of towner, that's great. But he's been in my company for his entire professional wrestling career. Yeah. So, and, and then you want to look at, you know, the lineage of champions and how many times has Cody been a champion and Remy Marcel been a champion and Funny Bone been a champion and Tyshawn Prince, who was a local guy that we built into a star as a champion. You know, yeah. if you're good enough and I, it's my company, it's who I feel is best for the job. You know yeah. what? You know, I could talk to Chris Bay all day and Chris Bay will think this guy is perfect to be the champion. And I'll think that guy's the perfect guy to be the champion. At the end of the day, it's my decision. But Chris is going to throw his input in there. Chris gets a lot of respect. You know, Chris has been there. He's done that. He'll make recommendations for out-of-town guys, you know, name guys that are interested in working and things like that. I'm always going to listen, you know, when Remy Marcel says something, when Cody says something, when Jacob Austin Young says something, when guys who've been with me a long time say something, I'm going to listen to him, but I'm not going to listen to uh, a Brett the Threat complaining about something who's got a year and a half in the business and has gotten uh, an extremely large push. Like, if he has a good idea about something, yeah, I'm going to listen. You know, I always try to listen to anything everybody has to say. Unfortunately, some people just don't like the answer. You know what I mean? absolutely a hundred percent and i think that that's that's one of the uh the best points um you know uh i i love that you, you said someone like brett the threat because as they're young and coming up with ideas you know uh, you pitch so many different ideas because you're excited and you have this enthusiasm you have this drive but at the same time guys like brett what I love about him, what I love about Xander is they're the first people also to listen to what's being told to them as well. And I think that is a key that kind of gets lost when you're in that world of, I'm going to spew out things, but I'm not going to process anything coming back at me. And I think that that's something that's, you know, so important and that helps these guys get to where they are at such a quicker pace than, you know, someone who uh, just thinks that, yeah, I'll just roll in and, you know, I'll show up for class, you know, maybe twice a month, if that, Um, you know, I should be on the show because, you know, I I put in nine months and it's just like that, that mentality to me has never made any sense. And for us, you know, back in the day when, when I was training, it was always, you shut your mouth, you listened, you had your opportunities to add your input, but what you were learning is the respect for the profession. If you want to be a professional wrestler. And I think that that's something that, you know, sometimes goes away in the fact that we're more uh, you know, apt to um, jump on social media and 
start torquing someone because of the fact that we didn't necessarily get what we wanted to hear uh, as the answer. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, owners of companies like yourself have to deal with that on a regular basis because it's, you know, it's just such a, a, a hamster wheel that just kind of now just keeps rolling faster and faster the more that social media is is uh, relevant. And um, it's just crazy to think, like, you know, like we've been saying here, life's too fast to, you know, to hold grudges against someone who is trying to run their business. And because you're in Vegas, because you know Joe DeFalco, because you work for Joe DeFalco, um, you know, you really should think about it and translate, Hey, Joe might be this way and I can, you know, talk to him this way and, and, you know, understand his perspective. But I also have to be open if I go out to Oklahoma or if I go out to Idaho or New York, or anywhere I go, any promotion I work with, I have to be able to adapt. I have to be able to fit in. I have to be able to look people in the eye and shake their hand and say, you know, hello, um, I got to be able to talk over, you know, a match, got to be able to call a match, I got to be able to adapt in a match, you know, there's so much the process and do that I think that the stronger of a person you are, the easier it is for you to get to the places you want to go. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just disappointing to see people who might have talent, people you see potential in, or people who think they have more potential than they really do have um, just go about it in, in the wrong way to where they never reach where they could have reached. And I think that if you look at your history, you can see that what FSW produces are, you know, professional wrestlers and um, you know, just goes to show with all the excitement going on and everything happening that um you know fsw is a main player um especially on the west coast now and uh you know it's 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 fun to see the progress but it's also been a you know a, over a decade of work that you've put into this and i think that's another thing that people just kind of take for granted they forget you built this up from nothing and the last thing you want to do is lose what you built because of this one person, you know, trying to tear you down and just, just fascinating how things are different now in this age of, you know, being able to just jump on a computer and say, fuck to this person. And people just go, yeah, yeah, fuck him. And, uh, it's crazy, man. Crazy. But that's my sermon for uh, the end of the show. Last thought. The strike is over. What are the Mets going to do this year? Yeah, they got another pitcher from the Oakland A's, <clears throat> the Bassett dude. So for the eighth year in a row, the Mets have had one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, yet they've never won anything because the Grom loses every game one nothing and 2-1. to one. Right. Like I've never seen a guy get $300 million and his lifetime record is like 90 and 80. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, the – this guy just got paid basically $2 million a win because he only won 13 games and he lost 11. 
Like, how yeah. do you go 13 and 11 with an ERA, like, in the ones? So, you know, when guys hit one year, McNeil, Alfon- Alonzo, um, Cano, whatever it is, all these guys, they come in, and now all of a sudden they can barely hit. And yeah. until they get guys that are going to hit the ball, you know, it was kind of like the Yankees a few years ago. Like, all these guys nobody heard of. Yeah. The, the Geo guy they got rid of. Guy, guy was a 240 hitter. He hits like 320, and it's like, oh, my God, he's the guy. And then the next year he's back down to 230. Yeah. Gary Sanchez, you know. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. The Mets keep buying and buying and buying. And Scherzer's another one. They spent shit tons of money on a guy, whatever, $40 million a year. You know, he's usually 14 and 12. Well, yeah. you're not going to win World Series when your number one guys are like two games over 500. So, you know, I'm excited. Baseball's back. It's crazy how many less names I know that are really good. Like, holy shit, that guy was an all-star. I don't even know what this fucking is, you know. But it's my favorite sport to bet. It's my favorite sport to follow. You know, I played it as long as I could. You know, I'd even go to batting cages in my 30s and shit. And, and, And I was always a good hitter. I was a slap hitter. I had no power. But I was like, I was consider myself like a Wally Backman. I was a lefty. I would kind of spray the ball over. When we played softball, I always remembered, oh, he's lefty. It's like no matter who you are, if you're a lefty, everybody does a uh, everybody does a shift. The shift. Yeah. So I would just step that way and I hit the ball to left field. It's like I'm, you know, it's crazy that baseball. Oh, they're gonna ban the shift. How the fuck are you banning where I could stand? Yeah. Is it? You know, maybe you lay a bunt down because there's nobody over there. Like, that's great. You're a home run hitter. Okay. You're one of the best home run hitters. You hit 40 homers. That's one homer every four games. Yeah. So how about there would be no shift if you bunted once every four games? And that's not a lot. You know what I mean? It's like the shift is mind-boggling. I'm watching a game. Guy rips a shot up the middle. I'm like, yeah, base hit. Oh, double play because the because right. the shortstop's on the bag and the third baseman is where the shortstop is. Yeah. It's just like, you know, batting averages are like historically low because all pitchers do is either strike somebody out or give up a fucking home run. Run. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, you know, what happened to the, you know, Tony Gwynn's of the world that would hit 15 homers, but they'd hit 360 and yeah. they'd get on base because they'd walk. And Barry Bonds, man, they used yeah. to walk that motherfucker with the bases loaded. Like, yeah. how is he not in the Hall of Fame? It's like ridiculous. Like David Ortiz is like he never got tested positive. Well, yeah. And then all the uh, the way they co- the the sports writers like to cover that up by you know saying well this was before and and it wasn't even uh, an actual- yeah well so, so was Sosa and McGuire exactly yeah exactly Sosa though you know his main problem is they like to shy away from that and say two things one he had the cork bat explode on him and that was like the the year the last year of his cubs 
tenure. Yeah, so did a million people. Everybody tried to take the little shortcuts to do stuff yep. like that. Super balls in a bat. Did it really make a ball go further? Ah, who the fucking knows? And at the same time, baseball is the ones who are tightening the strings and you know making these balls more lively. And it's like, so wait, a guy can't take steroids, but you as baseball can control the fact of trying to make the balls. Le- it, it makes no sense. No, but what's worse is you can't take steroids, even though we didn't have a rule in place yet that said you couldn't take steroids. And the other thing, too, you know, everything kind of started rolling with um, with McGuire and the Androstein. And it's like Androstein. I was using Androstein. They fucking sold it at GNC. You know, here's an over the counter. So all it did was make Mark McGuire's 460 foot homer that cleared the fence by 50 feet go 470 feet. Yeah. And when when Mark McGuire swang and missed. 200 times a year like he always did he still struck out 200 times a year you know did the the steroids give him two extra homers this year Eh, maybe but he was taking at that time what was considered uh an over-the-counter supplement yeah but it's it's, yeah again we can can do a whole story on uh, the baseball steroid scandals and shit seriously um yeah, yeah Jose Canseco to come on. He lives here. Yeah, we could do. Uh, we'll do a remote from his uh, his car wash and gas station. Yeah, you know, I know Tyler Houston, who used to play for the Braves and the Brewers. Oh, hey, my my son used to. Uh, his dad remarried, and Tyler was like twenty eight. We went to his house for Halloween, and. His little brother was literally like seven. You know, he met my son at the Kids Quest at Sunset Station where I thought I got really cheap daycare, but it really cost like $3,000 a month. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. Over there. But it turned out they were related. When he got remarried, they had a a kid. And and Tyler Houston, uh, he had just signed. I remember it was like with the Brewers. Like a two-year, three million dollar contract, and he he had a really nice house in a nice area, and stuff like that. But you know, he was a number one draft pick with the the yeah. Cubs or the Braves or something like that. He was like big time. He was he was Bryce Harper before Bryce Harper in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, we we might end up uh, doing a little. Uh, baseball talk uh you know here and there because uh two big baseball fans and uh you know it's uh it's just fun it's it's great the falco files the 2022 major league baseball preview brother (laughs) oh we'll do that and we can get uh you know Combine it with a little fantasy talk in there so people can get their information. Through the fantasy talk, 1-900-JOE-WINS. You pay me $9.99, and I'll give you some winners. 1-900-JOE-WINS. Oh, man. Now, now I'm going to have to find out how much the number costs, and we're going to have to get it up. And then I'll give out – you can go to Bet Online right now and bet WrestleMania. I'll even give you the free wrestling winners for free. 
Oh, he's thrown in the Brock Lesnar and the uh, the Ronda Rousey. That's right. <laughs> throwing it in free of charge. Well, everyone listening and watching, thank you for tuning in. Of course, you just uh, had some entertainment here uh, for free of charge as well. So, um, uh, you know, keep supporting FSW. The network costs six ninety nine a month. Um, again, uh, the twenty seventh of March is going to be the next show at the FSW Arena, and that is a Sunday. Um, so come on out. Five o'clock start time. Five o'clock start. Um, I mean, sorry, liking, my, my bad, my bad. Six o'clock start. Six o'clock start. I'm, I'm liking these pre-seven o'clock starts. It's, yeah, it's a, you know, especially cool. on Sundays, no football, school's out. You know, yeah. you don't want to run seven, eight o'clock because then the kids or whatever, and you're done at 10, 11 o'clock, they're not going to come. So, yeah. So, yeah, come on down, check it out, get your tickets now. And if you're not in Vegas, of course, uh, watch the FSW Network and you can see it uh streaming live so that's right uh, pay-per-view quality show for free exactly so everyone thank you again for tuning in uh take care until next week and we'll see you guys then